Hello there, my name is Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. To most people, fishermen's friends are just another powerful mental lozenge you can pick up in sweet shops and some pharmacies, which, like other mental eucalyptus-based formulations, help clear the head, nasal passages and lungs, particularly outdoors during the winter months. But in this particular case, there is more to it than that. Here in the UK, the clusters are sweet that you can pop a packet of into your pocket, but in other countries the clusters medicinal and can only be bought through pharmaceutical outlets, which when you hear the history behind the development you will quickly understand why. It's been almost 150 years since the formulation was first concocted by James Lofthouse to assist commercial fishermen working in harsh environments out from Fleetwood where Fisherman's Friend Manufacturing, which in 2013 still remains in the hands of the Lofthouse family, has always been based. I frequently drive past the side of the factory on my way into Fleetwood to fish, but it wasn't until I rounded the corner to enter the site from the other side that I became aware of the sheer scale of the operation, which is now the major employer of people in the town. So to get a fuller appreciation of the history and current effectiveness to all manner of outdoor enthusiasts of the Fisherman's Friend brand, I'm at the factory which produces them literally in their billions with Joint Managing Director Tony Lofthouse. As I've just intimated, it's still a family business and you bear the family name of Lofthouse. Yes, the company's been in business in Fleetwood since 1865. First of all with uh, pharmacies. And then we branched out into what we called season shops, which were only open during the holiday time from Easter to the end of the illuminations, October. And then we started to get more and more demand for Fisherman's Friend. This was due to the cotton weeks, the wakes weeks as they were. People would come over on the holidays, buy Fisherman's from us, go home, couldn't find them. Then they'd write in and say, where can I get them please? My wife collated the letters into towns, set up with a box of lozenges in the car and went to find a decent, maybe a post office or a health food shop and going with these letters in that town said, if you will stop our product, I will go home and write to these people and tell them they can get them from you and you can have them for the sole agency for one year if you'll support us. And that's how it started. We've already mentioned the company founder, James Lofthouse. So let's now go back to 1865 to where it all started and why. Okay, well, my great-great-grandfather came to Fleetwood from Lancaster in 1865. Fleetwood was quite a new town at that time, and he opened what they called an apothecary shop on what is now Dock Street, was West Street in those days. And he just worked serving the local community, fishermen, I think the first fishing company started in about 1841, so they were established when he came down here. And trawler men had moved up from banks near Southport to work from the port. And it just stayed as a pharmacy or an apothecary for many, many years. I think the first steam trawlers only came out in around 1885, so it would be about that time that they started voyaging further and further into the colder climates. And I would imagine it would be about then that he formulated the first, which, like you say, was a liquid. We still have one bottle left in the museum. But these weren't practical in sort of bad weather, that they would smash up. So he had another look at it, and that's when he decided it would be better in a solid form, and made the first lozenges. Uh, the fishermen would come in and ask for some of my friends, 
and this local people said, I want some of those fishermen's lozenges, and that's the name came about that way. They were only interested in retail, they weren't interested in marketing the products anywhere, only in Fleetwood. And this state of affairs really lasted until, as I've said, we had the season shops and the demand came from the inland towns and my wife went out pioneering, if you will. Demand grew, we got our first wholesalers, I would say in the late 50s, early 60s, and they helped enormously to spread the product around. We bought our first bagging machine, uh, which we had installed in the back room of the Lord Street shop, and it was so cramped you had to stand on the fireplace to fill the bowl at the top to get the lozenges in. But so we did that. That continued to grow, but by then we were having the product contract manufactured for us because it had outgrown what we could do. And that state of affairs lasted till early 1972 when we opened here and started remanufacturing again. We moved from the back of the chemist shop to what was an old tram shed by the North Houston Hotel in Fleetwood, that's now an apartment block, but we stayed there for three years, put a mezzanine floor in and uh, to get more room out of it, but again we outgrew that, so we thought we've got to find somewhere. Uh, there was nowhere suitable, so we thought we've got to build a factory. So we bought this land off a local builder and there was a little piece locked in at the back of what we bought so my wife went back to me and said, well that's no use, I'll give you so much for that. So we got that piece cheaper <laughs> and he, the local builder, actually built this place for us. The first building was 20,000 square feet which is from 1,858 square metres. <laughs> And that was opened by Sir Walter Clegg, who was a local MP, in April of 1972. From then on, it's just grown and grown. Luckily, the firm that was contract manufacturing for us decided they were going to move. They were based in the Borough High Street in the south side of London. And they wanted to move either to East Anglia or to South Wales. And we could never understood why they took so long to decide, because the man that was making the decision was called Hayden Llewellyn Williams. So it was fairly obvious to us that we were going to go to Wales. So their export manager at the time, a man called John Santa, his wife said, I am not moving from Essex, where they were living. So he left that company and joined forces with the man who just started a business on his own, an ex-tree bore salesman. And they started looking for products to sell. And John said, well, we used to make an awful lot of fishermen's friends. They're doing them now, but let's see if we can sell them overseas for us. And they did. And the first market to take off properly was Norway. And really that was because Olaf Steenwell, who owned it, was very friendly with Ivan Gibson that formed Impex. And in fact, he was the godfather of Ivan's son. And they started selling them. We'd never met him at this stage, but we, all, we started going to the World Sweets Fair, which was in Cologne every January. And we didn't have a stand of our own, we, we shared a part of Impex stand. And this gentleman came across to the ring with a box of fish and said, this is a product you really should sell, it goes really, really well. And this was Olaf, and we didn't know us, we didn't know him. But we became very, very firm friends. We started, again, expanding building more uh, warehouse capacity, more production capacity. And as we are today, so it started off at 20,000, it's 
357,000 square feet now, that's just short of 36,000 square metres. So what we're finding as well is that machinery is getting smaller and quicker, so we're getting more out of the same floor area. But we had a really big job on to expand the stores and the area we call Sugar Free 2. The one over the road is Sugar Free 1. That was the original engine sheds in Fleetwood, which we bought and demolished and built the factory as is. And then we needed a much larger one over here, so that was when Sugar Free 2 was built, and again a big warehouse with it. What else can I tell you? We've grown to about 120 countries around the world where fishermen are available. We make about 23 million a day, 9 million of which are sugar based and 14 are uh, the sugar free ones which are actually tablets and pressed out, they're not the same way of making them. Whereas with the sugar based ones we've got to dry them very carefully for four days, we have to get the water out that leaves the medicaments in. With the uh, sugar free it's stamped out and it's ready to go immediately. So there are more and more sugar-free flavours coming out than there are of the sugar ones. As I said earlier, I pass the factory on a Mundanus way on a regular basis when I'm travelling into Fleetwood to fish, but wasn't aware of the scale of the production, and I have to say I was staggered by both the size and modern feel of everything connected with the operation. Yeah, I mean this original office block was uh, half as long as it is now and single story. Up it went, out it went got to such a stage we were going that way when we came to a substation and we couldn't afford to move it so we could go over it and so sort of leapfrog it and then carry on with the office block and that's still the same today unfortunately but it's never been a problem. Sticking with the historical side of things for the moment you've given us a brief overview of the development of the product but what about the driving force behind it? So what sorts of health problems were fishermen faced with back then that warranted James Lofthouse investing into finding some sort of means of comfort for them? Can you also explain what were and still are the benefits to be derived from fishermen's friends and as importantly, are they a sweet or a remedy? Certainly, I mean menthol is very good at clearing your rock passages or anything, it's, it's really good and the strongest one on the market with menthol and eucalyptus again is soothing. The idea of the lozenge rather than a liquid, apart from the glass breaking, is that a liquid you, you'd swallow it nice, it's gone, it's in your tummy. A lozenge you keep in your mouth and it's doing what it should do around your throat and your chest. So that's really the main benefit, I think, of you get more longer lasting treatment out of a lozenge than you do out of a, a bottle. Some places you, you were mentioning, are they sweets or are they a remedy? It depends where you are in the world. In Canada, North America, parts of the Far East, we are re registered as a medicine and we come under things like the Food and Drug Administration in the United States, we come under Health Canada, we come under Swiss Medic, you know, all sorts of different ones and some in the Far East as well we're registered as a medicine. Let's then call them a serious suite. We call it medicated confectionery, yes. <laughs> as you've already said, when the formulation was first introduced to the fishing community, it was very much focused on Fleetwood. So how soon after did its message get out to the wider community regarding its effectiveness? And how did its availability spread? Well, we were very lucky. We got in with a company called Berry Health Foods, who have 
contacts both in the north and south of the UK. We did a sister company down south, so that was good. That went into the southern area as well. Um, we had a call one day from Boots Head Office in Nottingham saying, we always thought it was sort of a Lancashire thing, but why is it we've got this shop in Rowley Regis in the West Midlands? They're selling like hot cakes. So Dream said, well, they're either on the counter or in the window or both. So it's right. We'll take them into the southern depot as well. And they did brilliantly you know, for quite a long, long time. Then we got in touch with a company, well, they got in touch with us actually, a wholesaler called Harrison's in Accrington. And again, they were absolutely brilliant. Distribution was first class. And we were, they were getting pushed that much that we'd uh, sometimes run out of the, the outers and they'd say, well, doesn't matter, send them loose, we'll get rid of them. One thing on that I think I should mention as well, that the sort of house colours of the red and black, in the very early days, when we were only selling a few, my mum used to type the envelopes. And she said, hang on, I'm using the black, but we paid for a bit of red ribbon as well. So she did the extra strong in red, so I'm not wasting this. So that's how we got the colours. And then when we got on our first bagging machine, our automatic machine, we said, really, we could do with a trawler on this. Sleep wouldn't need a trawler. Again, with big companies here like Mars and Boston, we don't know. Somebody's got a more our size. So the gentleman in Thornton had a company called the Sevix Steam Fishing Company. And my wife went to see him and said, if we can use your Sevix, which was the one we still use today, we'll make sure you have the sole agency again for a year in Thornton area. So we just shook hands on it and that was it. We tried to do it accurately and it looked, didn't fit at all, so it had to be sort of stylized. And uh, it, uh, it worked. So far we've confined the talk to the benefits to fishermen. But there are other supposed benefits such as to hay fever sufferers, of which unfortunately I'm one. We don't make any claim whatsoever. What we do is say they work. <laughs> But yeah, I've heard people say, yes, it would be really good for if you've got hay fever, it'll clear your passages, you know, your nasal passages, you know, stop your eyes running. But we don't make a claim. Besides expansion of your facility, market expansion has also gone on taking in not only many countries around the world, but also the flavours, because it has to be said that the strength and taste in their original formulation is not to everybody's liking. Uh, different markets like different flavours. I mean, we make um, one specifically for Holland, Scandinavia, and northern Germany, which is salt licorice, and it's called Salmiak. It's not a flavour for this country at all, but it goes really, really well out there. Then we've got a mandarin that goes surprisingly quite well in China and places like that. Very, very good. But the, the salt licorice one, we sometimes get complaints from UK people who picked up a packet of Schiphol airport, then they write in and say, this tastes of salt. We have to write back and say, yes, it's got salt in it. <laughs> and they don't notice that the pack's totally different from the original. It's black and white stripes, it's not plain. Because all the sugar-free variants are branded with stripes, so we know that they're, what they're buying. But we went from, uh, first of all, obviously the original goes way, way back. Then it took us over 100 years, I think, we brought the aniseed out. Now the, the aniseed, it looked the same colour as the original, so we had to have a different shape for it, rather than the oval. So Robert, the chief chemist, was in here talking about it. My wife says, make it that size. And it was a blouse button. Says, that's just ideal. So that's, what, that's, how, that's how that got its shape. 
Then we found that in Norway we had competition from sugar-free based lozenges, which we weren't making at that time, so that was our next one, come to uh, that one. Then Super Strong Mint, which is again another sugar-based one. Then we did a sugar-free mint, in fact all the rest were sugar-free, lemon, cinnamon, salmiac as I've mentioned, mandarin, cherry, black currants, sweet licorice we've done, and uh, spearmint, and one a limited edition again called Tropical, which is for Germany for the summer months. Germany being our biggest market. We do 23 million a day. It's about 5 billion, isn't it? Yeah, about 5 billion, 5,000 tonnes about we'd do. Yeah. And there's a million in a tonne, because 300 gram. And yeah, they go around the world four times, long ways. Now, I personally love the things. As a fisherman myself, the benefits of having a pack with me out in the boat have not gone by unnoticed. But they aren't only for fishermen. They're equally useful for a range of other outdoor activities and I've also heard they're one of the best selling sweets in Italy of all places. No, not the biggest selling, it was the strongest. Not the biggest selling. No. no I'd love to claim that but uh, I mean, we get people pursuing outdoor sports. In the days when there were mining communities they were very very strong on fishermen's friend. Again, it's something you could take down the man. If you, you couldn't have a cigarette or anything, but you could have a really strong taste. And again, like I said, dotted around the coast were Aberdeen, Holgrimsby, Lowestoft, where there were fishing industries at that time. And then it just became general. Anybody with a cough, random. So we just sell everywhere now from, uh, well, we're in Norway, Sweden, down to New Zealand, Australia, you know, across Caribbean through to China, you know, so we've grown and Impex have grown with us. They now have two people based in the Far East, based in Hong Kong. They have one based in America, North America in the United States and one, a German national based in Germany to look after that market. Then they've got others that travel and look after the various places, various sort of area managers or regional managers. What about you? Do you like them yourself? because it's not a given that everyone associated with them will. I have two every morning on the way in in the car. I've got a tin in the car. <laughs> always, yeah. Um, whenever I've got a cop or anything like that, you know. Yeah, I've always got my fishermen with me. So in terms of the company, the brand and new variations on the theme, what does the future hold for Fisherman's Friend? Trying to strengthen that position where we are. What we have got, and again, this was the Germans did this to start with. They started to measure on the strength of the product. They have what they call a strongman run, Fisherman's Friend Strongman Run, which is a 10 kilometre obstacle run. They run through tyres, through freezing water, and all sorts, under barriers. And that's really taken off. They've had to move it from a small village in Germany to the Nürburgring because of the number of spectators and competitors. The next one is coming up uh, next year in May time, I believe. I think the last one, they put it on the web for applications and it sold out in 90 hours and I think the 12,500 competitors now run it. So it takes some doing. And that's now taken off in Italy, France and Holland. And they're doing it as well. There's a similar one in Finland. Although we sponsor it, it's actually it's an idea from a local disc jockey. 
but it's, it's very similar to our own run, so we, we sponsor, help sponsor that. Chris Bonington used to take them with him when he was on his climbs, I believe. Various singers, they liked them and it helped them clear the voices. But generally, like I said, it's more in this country perceived as for the more mature people, should I say. In our overseas markets, it has not got the heritage, so the kids take them. I mean, it surprised us once when we were setting up on this, I was to mention this trade fair in Germany, and a lady came along and said, oh, have you any samples I could have for my grandchildren? Well, if we'd been setting up here, it would be any samples for my grandma, please. <laughs> totally different perception. But um, luckily, generally like, there's a, there isn't an age perception to them any, in any of the other countries, it's just here. Here in the UK these days, it's plain to see how attitudes to leisure have changed. Young people, it seems, rarely, if ever, go out, preferring to live virtual lives stuck in front of a computer or game station screen. So I can't help wondering if attitudes and tastes for Fisherman's Friend might also change. This is why we're doing these different flavours, you know, so that we can. They're, they're milder than the original, you know, they've got more. I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoy the original, but some of these people, it's a bit like Marmite, I think, love hate, isn't it? So some of these more gentle flavours, like the aniseed and the cherry, are much more palatable to these youngsters. They're not as tough as us. No, they're not. <laughs> we love what we're doing. We spend the majority of our lives here. My wife is still very, very much involved. If she isn't in, I give her a report every night of what's gone on. If she's not in, in herself. Uh, we've got a very, very stable team of people. A number, quite a number on been with us 20 years, quite a few 30 and a couple on 40. So, you know, they, they, they tend to stay. I think we've grown more by default, really, because things like the fishing industry's gone, the ICI is gone, ministry's moving away, or part of it, isn't it? So we've become more important, I think, because of the loss of these other outlets for them. Because at one time we used to have a regular up and down the road, sort of from Martin Seafoods to Smithcrest to us. <laughs> and they're gone now, so they stay put. So the factory then, hopefully, can look forward to at least another 150 years of production. It's fascinating to me to see how such a large-scale example of manufacturing industry with global outlets can grow from such humble beginnings, driven on by the hard lives led by fishermen from such a small Lancashire town. Many thanks then to Tony Lofthouse for filling in the historical details for us all here.